Hello, and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the greater bleeding disorders community, brought to you by Believe Limited Bloodstream Media and made possible thanks to our presenting sponsor, Takeda. I am your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am your healthcare advocate, nonprofit nerd, and your other host, Amy Board. And I am reminding you, as always, to please speak with a healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. It seemed like you had to search for nonprofit I advocate did. for a I moment. I did. I had to think about it. I was, was like, what's the next bit? That was exciting. I thought you might not get there. <laughs> <laughs> On today's show, Maya Bloomberg, you heard her in the last episode, the Heme NP. Which means a nurse practitioner. She presents her first segment on the Bloodstream podcast, one that is centered around anemia. You're mm. going to hear that followed by John Christian, a mm-hmm. fellow blood brother who has a project called Bleeding China, which I'm excited for you to hear more about. And today's show will wrap up with the one and only Joshua Sterling Bragg in a little segment we like to call Let's Talk. We got all of that and more on this episode. Welcome to Bloodstream. Listeners, as always, thank you for joining Patrick and I here on Bloodstream. If you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button. Good please. idea. Please. Wherever you listen to your podcast, we are everywhere and you can follow Bloodstream Media on on social media, again, wow. we are everywhere, including LinkedIn. That's it's a whole a thing. Really, really big deal, listeners. And I want to remind you that the Bloodstream Podcast is indeed made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right, Takeda. <laughs> Takeda's got this website, bleedingdisorders.com. May have heard of it, where you can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. Mm. Takeda believes in a world free of bleeds. As do I. Me too. Great. And they are dedicated more than ever in their efforts to offer a wide range of programs and support to help patients throughout their treatment journey, wherever on that journey they may be. You can learn more by simply visiting bleedingdisorders.com. One more time, considerably slower. <laughs> okay. Bleedingdisorders.com. That's the first time I actually think I needed to say it that many times. Okay. (laughs) And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream podcast, I would just like to say thanks, Takeda. As would I. Thank you, Takeda. I was just a little fast, so it was actually helpful to say it 72 times that time. I love it. Amy Board, we struck a nerve, my friend. Let me tell you, you're not doing your job until you struck a nerve. You know what I'm saying? In the content game, that's true. (laughs) And we learned that I'm not the only one that's got some concerns about the state of the community. I know. This was deep. Go into it. Tell me everything. Tell me all your thoughts. Well, I mean, so if you saw the social breakout video Mm -hmm. on different platforms, there was a lot of engagement. There were different comments. But DMs, emails, texts. to the the community if you hadn't heard it. Please go back and um, see it um, about some of our advocacy efforts and some of the things that uh, are maybe a little idle at the moment. And I felt like for weeks, if not a few months, that this was something someone needed to say at some point, yeah. that like if things don't change on yeah. the course we're on, we're setting ourselves up for trouble. Uh, the point I want to make, I'm glad it resonated the way it did. I Me anticipated too. it would, but the degree to which it did and, and like advocacy leaders yeah. and some pretty big chairs yeah. coming forward, I'm glad it resonated. To me, this confirms the problem. Right. What I don't have are the answers, <laughs> right? Like, so people, I've been asked a lot, like, can I talk to you about, I want to talk more to you about that. And it's like, I'm happy to, I'm happy to talk. Maybe we should do, we've talked about this previously, yeah. like some kind of round table here on yeah. Bloodstream. Let's get ideas flowing. But it feels at least like step one is achieved. We are all staring at the same problem. 
Step two, answers. I have ideas. I don't have answers. But let's keep sharing ideas and let's not look to one person or one entity or for one solution. 100%. This is a multifactorial, yes. no pun intended, problem yes. and it needs to be addressed as such. 100%. And I won't talk about this too long, but to bring some of the conversations I think that some of the higher ups are having into the light a little bit more to be transparent yeah. about some of the work and the conversations that I know are happening. And the challenges that they talk about yes. each, to each other. Because they're in the trenches as well on a different level could help, I think, some of the folks here that are maybe listeners, you and me, that are truly grassroots, that see this from, um, you know, our vantage point, our viewpoint, who are passionate about the health and the stability and the sustainability of our community and how we can work together. So love, love that you brought it up and love that it was so richly um, replied to, if you will. Well, nonprofit nerd, Amy Borg. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, that's all I had. I just wanted yeah. to call that back. No, but thank you. And uh, we'll come back to that non that, that roundtable oh, idea for at, sure. at some future point. Always. You recently got I off a plane. A from, from, we do love roundtables. <laughs> from Florida, you were down there for the coalition, coalition, the coalition, coalition of hemophilia bees symposium. Yes. It was in Orlando, Florida. What a great energy that conference had. So many people. I saw so many of my Colorado families, which was, um, I will just say, I just want to say it was a highlight of my um, whole month. Uh, you know who you are. Um, it was wonderful. And we brought um, our science fair installation so for cool. the first time. We have pared down our science fair into a roadshow um, situation. It's still humongous. I thought it would be like, you know, little and cute and tiny, like we'd have this little I baby know the liver. Pictures. I was like, oh, it's still huge. It's 100%. <laughs> like we were like, oh, this is maybe less huge. Uh, yeah, it was like, this is barely smaller. Um, but it's great. And we're going to be traveling around the country this year. Um, phenomenal. Our next stop is in Michigan, Spring Fest in Michigan. So that is going to be wonderful. So the science fair was fantastic. And we announced our brand new documentary film, Elite Athletes, um, showcasing elite athletes in the hemophilic community. I have nothing to do with this documentary. Absolutely I mean, nothing. nothing. I don't know about absolutely. It's kind no, of overstating. You at least work for the company. I do it, work I for the company, but like I haven't done. Usually I, I do like, well, I've done this thing and I haven't I haven't even written a word for it but i'm so proud of it it is so exciting and the stories um that are being highlighted are just fantastic and the response has been wonderful which has been really lovely yeah so it was announced at the coalition's meeting uh they announced it in person and then put out stuff through social that you may have seen uh, us here share as well on elite athletes with hemophilia profiling a group different people from around the world different sports different reasons all operating at an elite level. And what does that mean? What does that look like? And, you know, there are pieces of this project. So like Amy, I'm, I'm very much, um, I'm, I'm on the sidelines for this. I've helped uh, big picture casting, sort of story producing right. at the very early development stages. And now Rob, who uh, was our producer, mountain director and cinematographer for Bombardier Blood, is directing that with, with support here from the Believe team. And, you know, Bombardier Blood's an interesting thing to mention in flow, Mm. to use a bloodstream punny word, Mm. um, uh, with this film, because I felt this a bit during Bombardier Blood. I felt this recently a little bit with some of the response to elite athletes. I think about camp back in the day. I think about school growing up. There is this, I'm going to call it an antiquated idea, that if you have hemophilia, sports are bad, Mm. or sports are a no, or sports need to be heavily restricted. Okay. Yeah. If we if we wind the clock back to when people had to sit in the hospital for hours at a time to get fresh, fresh frozen, frozen plasma, plasma slowly dripped into right. their body, which would accomplish 
barely anything as right. it relates to hemophilia, that's a terrible time to go out and play competitive soccer. I agree with that. Very bad idea. But the treatments over the last number of decades have come a very long way. The strategies and the practices have come a very long way. The understanding of the musculoskeletal and psychological, emotional health of people, young people especially, has come a long way. Sports are important. Athletics are important. They're here, a part here. of our culture. Right. They're a part of how young people connect with each other outside of an academic environment. They learn teamwork. They learn teamwork. They learn how to push themselves to new levels. They learn how to have Manage a shared goal bodies. with a bunch of other people yeah. working together with each of you. Yeah. With your unique. There's so much good. And kids want. It's not like parents have to say to their kids. I mean, yeah. I know I'm generalizing, but go with me here. Hey, be interested in sports. Right. It's just part of the culture. And I just want to mention that you and I are not athletes. We both well, have theater that's degrees. Tr- my God, Amy, like, <laughs> got to call it out like that. <laughs> I mean, I know we're both sports nuts, but I, I don't. I'm going to go get my Peloton scores. I'm I gonna, know. I'm going to post them. You know what? <laughs> you there in the camera? She keeps up this. I'm putting Peloton stuff behind me. I'll prove my weight in, in sports, but you're also right. I'm not an athlete, neither are you. <laughs> but I feel very passionately about this yeah. because... Being born with hemophilia, being born with any rare chronic disease means you're going to be hearing no, you can't from people who think they know better for a lot of your life. And they don't always know better. And they don't always know when things change. They don't always know when there's new developments. They don't always know when you're working double, triple as hard as some of the people on your team so that you with hemophilia can show up. So anybody who wants to say that sports and hemophilia is not something that deserves the spotlight, that we should not be highlighting the achievements of people like Ricardo, an ultramarathoner who wins ultramarathons as a 50-year-old man with hemophilia B and is doing it for his grandson, like... If that's not worthy of being highlighted, I should quit filmmaking. I should stop being a storyteller. So I understand that there's other things that we want to make sure get their due attention. We want to make sure there's programs and education. And But I'm, I guess, anticipating that this story thread that's mm. existed for me for 37 years, mm-hmm. that I would like to believe in the year of gene therapy, mm-hmm. years after Hem Libra in 2023, Altuvio, longer acting factor eight is now like there's so many treatment options that can be tailored for the individual. Mm -hmm. Why are we just outright shutting off? Nope, that's sports. Bad. Nope. It's got to be this. So, oh, I didn't expect to be like that. uh, You know, whatever. (laughs) But I'm kind of feeling a little little tingly. But you know what I mean? It's like these these people are doing what they're doing, whether we're there or not. And it's worthy of celebration. And it's also worthy of um, for an audience that doesn't participate in that. I, th- I think that was a conversation back in Bombardier Blood. It's like, not everyone's going to climb Everest. I can't wait to not do that. <laughs> and yet there is something really powerful about um, watching people who have the thing that you have um, struggle with their barriers and learn how to adapt and manage their body in order to do something, you will be able to take away something from that because each one of those um, patients that we highlight has had mornings where they, they can't get up, they can't walk, they can't do some of the things that we have had to do as well. Mm-hmm. And like learning how to manage that, learning how to take care of your body is just something that I think is um, unique in him. In, in humanity, we we all have to do it, whether we have hemophilia or not. Yeah, and not all of us are 
blessed with some of those passions or or those desires or even like the the body to do it. I've told this story a million times. I wanted to be a ballerina more than anything in the world. Mm. And God did not grant me the lower half to do that. Mm. I am a beautiful ballerina from the waist up. I am so pretty and I don't have the lower half <laughs> to do it. And I just and I and I just think that it's important to you know, I, I think almost be um, celebratory of that, celebratory of our uniqueness. And this is this is a story that I deserve that deserves to be told. And I I think it's cool. So I, I guess we struck another nerve. I... <laughs> Amy Board. Two for two. Two for two. <laughs> two nerves. Two struck. So I'm sure there'll be more to discuss there in the not-too-distant future, but for the time being, we should move on. We've got Maya Bloomberg with her first segment for us, followed by John Christian and Bleeding China. Both of those are coming up right now. Are you always tired? Having difficulty concentrating? Craving ice or having hair loss? Maybe it's anemia. Anemia is the medical term for low red blood cells, which leads to less oxygen being delivered to our body's organs. Our body isn't getting enough oxygen, so it can't function at 100%. It leads to signs and symptoms like feeling tired, weak, maybe getting shortness of breath with minimal activity, headaches, dizziness, you could have pale skin, yellow skin, even chest pain. Iron deficiency causes unique symptoms such as pica, where your body craves non-food sources. Maybe you're craving ice, baby powder, or cornstarch. You also can have brittle nails and hair loss. B12 deficiency can cause balance issues and paresthesias or numbness and tingling to your fingers and toes. The body needs various nutrients to produce red blood cells, including iron, B12, folic acid, so a deficiency in these could lead to anemia. This could be somebody with a bleeding disorder who develops iron deficiency anemia because of heavy periods. Other red flags for a bleeding disorder could be nosebleeds, gum bleeds, easy bruising, excessive bleeding with dental procedures or with surgeries, family history of heavy bleeding, or iron deficiency because of bleeding issues. Maybe you're a vegetarian or vegan. Maybe it's somebody who had bariatric surgery or celiac disease, which affects the body's ability to absorb the nutrients needed to produce new hemoglobin. Other forms of anemia can be inherited, like with sickle cell disease or thalassemia. Sickle cell is a hemolytic anemia, meaning the red cells are being broken down. This causes anemia, jaundice or yellowing of the eyes and skin, in addition to severe pain. Our kidneys are responsible for secreting erythropoietin, which is a precursor to red cell production. So somebody with chronic kidney disease might have anemia because they don't have the stimulus to produce new hemoglobin. Anemia during pregnancy is common because of the increased iron requirements to help the little baby grow. There's also increased requirements if you plan to breastfeed. And then we can see a mild dilutional anemia from the increased blood volume circulating. If you have any of these red flags, talk to your provider and get some blood work done so we can see are your blood counts low and what the cause might be. All right, Bloodstream listeners, Amy and I are now joined by blood brother John Christian. He's got a very cool project that he's here to talk with us about today. John, welcome to Bloodstream, and nice to meet you. Uh, Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to meet you as well. And I should say, I knew John from Colorado. Okay. We We go way back, so he, you know... Colorado lives on, nice and proud. So, John, hi, it's nice to see you. <laughs> it's good to see you again. Yes, Amy helped me out with uh, an insurance issue I had a while back and was really fantastic. She's good with that stuff. That's a good And now Amy he's like thing. a Colorado superstar. He advocates, he's gone to Washington Days several times. Like, it, it's, I'm not going to lie, but I'm kind of proud of myself. I roped him <laughs> in. 
Yeah, it's mostly you. This is mostly about you. For sure, for sure, for sure. John's successes are really Amy's wins. But, <laughs> you know, you mentioned Mr. Colorado, but this project that we're here to talk about today is called Bleeding China. So, John, how does the guy from Colorado with that insurance issue that Amy was helping <laughs> come upon a project called Bleeding China? What is Bleeding China? Uh, well, Bleeding China is actually not too far different from Colorado because the part of China I was living in was much like Western Kansas, Eastern Colorado, and a bit of the foothills as well. So somehow I traveled halfway around the world to end up at home. Um, but Bleeding China is essentially, um, hmm, how do I put this? Back during the financial crisis in '09. I had a job and I lost that job, uh, as many people did and was laid off. And I had 18 months of Cobra insurance. Um, and I really thought that this was an opportunity to take a chance and, uh, and see what type of a journey I could go on. And I left Colorado and moved out to China and taught English in a, in a small remote Chinese village. Um, and did that for a year, and over the course of the summer, I took two months and backpacked through the Southwest and took 24-hour train rides and, uh, yeah, lived out of a backpack in hostels for, for two whole months, and it was fantastic. And Bleeding China is my story of all of that. So it's got Chinese history, it's got bleeding disorders history, and then my lived experience as well. Have Had you ever done anything like this before? <laughs> uh no um i was fortunate to be able to travel a little bit as a child um so the thought of of maybe going to europe or something along those lines wasn't too unfamiliar um and then being from colorado that everybody goes camping and enjoys the outdoors and things like that um and really the hemophilia treatment center out here is utterly fantastic um when we were children they got us skiing and had a ski program for us um they always advocated on our behalf to be physically active and uh to work within our limits as much as possible to get things done so they were fantastic but no i had a roommate at the time who suggested uh maybe teaching abroad would be a good way to wait out the crisis and wait until jobs would open back up again here in the states and i jumped on that opportunity. Why China? And did you know from the onset that you wanted to write about this experience? <laughs> um, so China, why that in particular? Uh, I got a degree in geography in school, and that encompassed everything from like plate tectonics and uh, biomes and landscapes up to um, cultural geography and on all about people and countries and, and how things happen in the world. And I took a class on China and found that to be utterly fanta fascinating and fantastic. And at the time, back in the late 2000s, uh, all the talk was on China and the rising dragon. And uh, I, I wanted to go see what all the, the fuss was about, I guess. John, when, during the experience, did you realize, oh, I want to document this. I want to capture this. This is something that... Uh, is story worthy? Um, how did you connect it necessarily to your hemophilia? Was was that was hemophilia a big factor um, in some of your storytelling? When when did it all come together? Um, 
So I had no idea I was going to write about it. Um, had no idea I was going to enjoy writing about it. Um, essentially, I got tired of trying to write one-off emails to everybody who was asking questions about what life was like out there. So I decided to start an email thread called The Daily News, and I would write that maybe once a week or so and send that off to everybody in my email list. And then that became a fun game of writing with a pen and paper and all the things I was seeing and then transcribing that at night. And before I knew it, the list was growing organically through friends, acquaintances, um, and colleagues and things like that. Um, and then it just took off. So I, I had no intentions of writing any of this down. Um, and then after the trip, it all went on hold for several years as I uh, got trained to become a science teacher for middle school kids. And once my kid was born, I took a hiatus from teaching and I've been writing and working on it ever since. And he's almost four now. So it's been quite the journey. How was, what was hemophilia like in China? Like what, what were your challenges day to day and what were your barriers? So the biggest challenge was I didn't tell anybody about having hemophilia. Uh, I didn't mention it in any of the email correspondence because um, I wasn't sure if the Chinese government was tapped into my email and to the company-issued desktop computer I had in my apartment, and I didn't want uh, anything to, to ruin being there. So I didn't mention anything about hemophilia. Um, otherwise, you know, there was a time where I went to tai, Taiyuan, which was the capital city of Shanxi province where I was staying, um, and that was an eight-hour bus ride, and it was a sleeper bus. So there's no seats in the bus. It's all just uh, bunk beds, essentially, three rows of bunk beds. And I had a top bunk in the middle, and it's just enough room to stretch out and be comfortable. And you got a pillow and a blanket, and I ended up sleeping on my right elbow funny. Uh, and my right elbow has typically been troublesome. Uh, at least it was until the medication has been really wonderful lately. And I ended up getting a bleed on that sleeper bus and woke up the next morning and I'm now walking a couple of miles to go find some pagoda temple that I want to go check out. And I'm bending my arm back and forth and I can tell it feels a little off and it's starting to swell and I now need to find somewhere to infuse. And at the temple grounds, luckily they were under construction and there was a porta potty right nearby. And I took advantage of the situation and then ended up climbing a 600-year-old stone pagoda. And it had a spiral staircase that was just the width of a person and little porthole windows to be able to look out on the city. And it was dark and cramped and had a wonderful time. Found an English bookstore and got some English books that I'd been craving for a long time. And gave a, a talk to a bunch of college students in a park, and, and those were all things that happened post-infusion. So, I mean, difficulties, but uh, it was all manageable. You just reminded me how silly it would seem to me at times when, oh, how did I get this bleed? By sleeping. I slept funny, you know, like my brother and I both growing up at times would just wake up with a bleed and it's like, how did I get a bleed in my sleep? Like, that's ridiculous, but it happens. So I hear you on that. And I should clarify for our listeners too. So Bleeding China, which is a Substack, 
um, where these, I think it's 17 posts, John, is that right? 17? Yeah, 17 posts, 2,000 words each. And I'm just going to read a piece of one of them. As John already cited, you know, there's a mix of his travel experience, the hemophilia component, what he's learning about China and Chinese history. So here's just a piece from, I believe, when you started teaching. Inside the classroom, there are 60 students in a room designed for 30. Students fill every nook and cranny. There are no aisles for one to pace. The number of bodies is suffocating. It is snowing outside, yet the windows are open. There's no central heat, no thermostat or furnace. Our collective body heat warms the room. Mr. John, my name is written in chalk on the chalkboard. I've never taught anything. I am an imposter, a fraud, a con. I'm engulfed in a new career. I'm expanding comfort zones. My hands are clammy. My face is red. My breathing is shallow and superficial. Slow down and breathe deep. After nearly a month of living here, I am teaching. John, that first day, do you remember that moment? Uh, luckily, that's one of the few pictures I still have, so I can picture that point. Um, but no, otherwise, it's mostly completely a blur. Uh, but I can say, as I've been teaching classes, that those feelings and nerves that on the first day, they never quite go away. What's one of the more surprising things that occurred to you or that you learned or would consider a major takeaway specifically from the teaching experience? Just the students, really. Um, The thing that I found really fascinating is I was living in a part of the country where most people were making maybe $5 a day, something along those lines. Um, So there was quite a bit of poverty in that space. And the students, many of them were poor farmers' children who lived outside of the town. Um, and maybe the farm was half hour away, hour away, something like that. But many of those children were living in the school dormitories on campus. Um, and we're talking about kids that are middle school, high school students. So maybe as early as 10 years old, they're now away from their families. And their whole job is to go to school. So they're having school for 12 hours a day from 7 in the morning till 7 at night. Mm. And that's going Monday through Saturday. And then Sunday morning, there's a half day of class as well. So it's really just all about learning, studying, and and the education at that point. Um, And that really opened my eyes to, oh, this is what working looks like. Like if you're really buckling down and, and you're getting it like this this is the effort that might it might take wow were you ever just totally overwhelmed yes but i would say the part where i feel most overwhelmed looking back is re-entry when i returned back to the states um because hmm. by the time i came back to the states i could understand english and everybody speaking around me like in the grocery store and that was very strange being back home I could read all the Mm. stop signs, street signs, building signs, and all of that was overwhelming and overstimulating um, because I had spent a whole year, like, all of that being white noise, background noise. John, how has writing this um, 
you know, kind of uh, connected you back with the community in some way. I know you're very active in the advocacy um, work that the Colorado chapter does. Um, and some of the youth, like I've seen some of the Backpacks and Bleeder stuff. Um, how has writing this been um, either beneficial or, or a hindrance to some of your work in the local community? Uh, it's mostly been, well, 100% beneficial. Uh, and watching those kids at the climbing gym, they're like five, six years old, these little bleeders, and they are just flying, flying up the climbing wall like uh, like nothing. It's really exciting to see. And a lot of coming back to the community was trying to figure out if my experience is unique, like in terms of having a bleeding disorder, not in terms of moving out of the country or something like that, um, but like my mother having to go to the emergency room when I was a toddler on a regular basis. Um, and unfortunately I was having a conversation with a lady the other night and she has a child. And when that child was six months old, had a spontaneous brain bleed and ended up in the emergency room. And they also were advocating with doctors on that child's behalf. And some of the, the same things that were cropping up for my mom with me in the emergency room in the 80s are something that this lady was dealing with only a couple of years ago. Um, and I found that very surprising. John, what do you most want people to take away from Bleeding China? What, what do you hope people get out of reading your story? Uh, just to know that a story like this exists, really. Um, the main takeaway I think I'm hoping to get out of it is maybe for that child who isn't quite sure what they can do or uh, is taking a meandering path through life and then doesn't have priorities sorted or things like that to just realize it's okay and that you can pick a path and, and travel down it and see if that works or you can always travel a different fork in the road. Um, I think that's my main takeaway, but to be honest, I'm not sure I really have a, a goal with it all. I kind of want to just put it there and, and see what might come of it. Um, ideally, my hope is to maybe get it published in uh, a major publication or with like a major book publisher or something like that. But that's something that might take several years to come to fruition. And one thing I do want to highlight here as we start to wrap up, you know, you, you mentioned in the beginning of your answer there, uh, something to the effect of inspiring others to think about what they may be able to do. And I want to read down in one of your posts, you uh, itemize all of your supplies for hemophilia <laughs> and you have them listed 30 vials of white powder and saline solution, a three month supply, 140 butterfly needles for IV injection, 130 syringes, countless alcohol wipes and gauze pads always they're always countless. You never, you never have like five. There's always just like a box with a bajillion or none. Two tourniquets and one small shoe box sized sharps container for the used needles. Now, treatments continue to improve. The burden of administration for treatments for hemophilia continues to improve. So that's, that's wonderful. But even as I read what's here, which is a lot of stuff, there's a lot of things listed here. I could see how someone might see that and go, oh, wow, I don't think I could ever. That's, that's too much. That seems like... And I would just like you to have a chance to speak to somebody who feels as though what they need to do to take care of themselves with hemophilia is just too much of a challenge to ever think about doing something like spending three months in another country. 
Um, can you speak to that person who's a little afraid that they won't have what it takes to manage hemophilia effectively? What, what would you say to them? <laughs> uh, first, I would agree with them. And I would say, yes, it is too much. And, and it is quite a burden. Uh, I don't think we can sweep that under the rug or, or try to sugarcoat that. That That is a real thing. Um, but one thing is the HTC was really fantastic. Um, they were the ones that insisted I bring a three-month supply of medication with me. So that way we had enough time to see if packages of factor could be sent and pass through customs and, and make it out to me. Um, so if you're hesitant, yeah, that's a real thing. That's extremely true. Um, but I would say no matter what happens, you, you can do something or you cannot. And at the end of the day, you're probably going to be more disappointed that you didn't try and didn't see what might be possible as opposed to taking a chance and you know, you can always buy a plane ticket home. So at no point in time did I feel like I was in danger. I always had extra medication, and I knew if I ever got down to two weeks left and I wasn't getting a reshipment, I was going to have to go home. Fair. That's I appreciate that perspective. So, uh, listeners, I encourage you to check out bleedingchina.substack.com. We'll have a link in the program notes as well. Again, that's bleedingchina.substack.com. Dot substack.com. Uh, all 17 posts of, of John's are there for you to read and share as you see fit. Uh, John, there's so much here that we could dig into and perhaps down the road we'll pick back up with you and I'd love to know uh, responses that you get because you only just recently published this all. Is that correct? Yes, in the last week or so. So just in the past few days. Super exciting. So it'd be fun to catch up down the road a bit to hear the kind of feedback you've gotten, any new ideas that have sparked as a result of that. So uh, again, bleedingchina.substack.com. John Christian, thanks for your time today, and we'll catch up with you in a few months' time. Bleeding China. Again, there's a link in the program notes. John Christian, Blood Brother, thank you very much. And before that, Maya Bloomberg, her first segment. Go find her on Instagram, the Heme NP, and let her know that Bloodstream sent you. Uh, all right, our last segment today, let's talk with the one and only Joshua Sterling Bragg. You know, there was a recent story on some connections between perhaps von Willebrin disease and depression. That was a story that uh, stuck out to us here and that Josh took as inspiration for his latest segment, which is coming up in just a moment. Let's Talk is a partnership between Bloodstream Media and Sanofi and aims to create an environment where we can have open and honest conversations about mental health in the bleeding disorder community. Let's Talk strives to shed light on the topics that are often invisible and not spoken of in the community and share tips on how to care for your or a loved one's mental health. If you or someone you know has experienced feelings that have impacted your mental health, talk to your health care provider and find educational resources at letstalkmh.com. Sanofi is proud to sponsor this podcast segment because they believe that each of us has a story. Visit shareyourwhy.com to meet the Santa Fe core team and hear from them and members of the community about their story and passion for the hemophilia community. Now let's get on to this week's Let's Talk segment. I went to the doctor. Hopefully to those listening, this doesn't sound like a big deal. Big whoop, a doctor visit. But to me, it was huge. 
See, I haven't had insurance in about a decade. It's always been something I wanted, but I've been focused on building my career in filmmaking, which isn't cheap. And every year as I'm weighing all of the options, there's always been something that got in the way. A camera breaks, a move across the country, needing a new mattress, or the car breaks down, some credit card debt that needs attention. There's always something, right? And it's much easier to make excuses and to put things off for some reason or another. So this year, whoa, baby, I made up for it by getting the gold plan for both me and my wife. It's extremely expensive, but it's been a while for both of us. So I thought go hard for a year, get everything checked, and then maybe we can bump down to bronze next year and save some major cash. So anyway, I found myself a doctor, you know, since I hadn't been to one since switching coasts. And a few days after, I got a phone call to discuss my blood work. And it didn't go as expected. In fact, I wasn't prepared for this at all. My voice was calm, my heart was racing, and it felt like my vision was slowly irising shut like the opening to a James Bond movie. This phone call introduced a new element to my life, one that has had me struggling with anxiety and depression and guilt for the past three weeks. But it's nothing I can't overcome. Let's talk. Or back in school. We'll see where the world goes with mental health, I guess, because that's always been my my passion. But that's a little about me. Biology and psychology, those are your two focuses of study? Yep, yeah. On to the biology. Can you tell us a little bit about your bleeding disorder? Describe, you know, what it is and how does it show up in your life? What is it like living with your bleeding disorder? So I have von Willebrand's type three. And it's, it prevents the blood from clotting. Basically, I was born without um, an enzyme. My liver doesn't make it. And it carries one of the factors to the clotting site as well as holds the platelets together. And I don't make any of those. This is an interview with Michelle from season one of Flow, a podcast from Bloodstream Media. Flow is straight talk about extreme periods and often features people living with VWD and I don't make any of those. There's varying degrees. So being type three, I don't make any, like less than 1%. There's also type two and different degrees of that that makes different moderations of it. And then type one, which is a little bit more mild, but also has some pretty severe, can have some pretty severe side effects. Um, uh, My kids were all supposed to be type ones genetic wise. We had genetic testing done and I actually have a type two daughter and a type one son. So kind of like a full blended family here going on. (laughs) So it's quite a complex disease. All the different types can have varying um, bleeding symptoms, type three being more severe myself. Um, But I also know some type ones and twos that women, especially when we go through um, puberty, starting your periods and childbirth and things like that, that's when you run into, we all have pretty much really bad bleeding issues across the board doesn't matter your severity type three is different in that since there's no von willebrand factor it never carries any of your factor eight protein to the site of injury where it needs a clot and so in that effect you can have a lot of similar symptoms to hemophilia in terms of i get some joint bleeding muscle bleeding just kind of random internal bleeding i've had gi bleeds like in my stomach for spontaneous reasons, you know, normal people often will get small leaks in their 
in their capillaries or bumps and bruises and they're able to clap. But with von Willebrand's, it's either very delayed or with type three, maybe not at all. So we have to use replacement therapies, which actually uh, people who don't eat plasma, I have uh, basically human plasma in my fridge here at home that we I just reconstitute with saline and I'm able to administer that via venous or I have a port now that I got three years ago. I know from speaking with innumerable people living with bleeding disorders over the past 10 years of doing this work that a diagnosis like this can be a lot to deal with, especially if you have children with varying levels of the disorder as well. And I can only imagine the mental toll this might take on a person. When my doctor's office called to talk me through my blood work, I was in a meeting. I stepped into my office real quick and shut the door to take the call, telling everyone I'd be back in about a minute. The nurse on the other end stated quickly and efficiently, Mr. Bragg, we got your blood work back and Dr. A is seeing that you have extremely high blood pressure, borderline pre-diabetic, and we'd like to put you on a medication to help you lower your blood pressure in addition to some dietary changes and rigorous exercise. No more fried food, no more burgers. We suggest a lot of fish and vegetables and doing 45 minutes to an hour of cardio four to five times a week to get your heart rate above 150. Do you have any questions? Nope. Thank you very much. I said, and I hung up the phone and went back to my meeting where I sat in shock until it was over. Me? High blood pressure? I'm only 37. And sure, I've gained about 40 pounds since the beginning of the pandemic, but extremely high? Extremely? That doesn't sound like a word a doctor should use unless things were, you know, critical. Well, to paraphrase a line from Stephen King's book, It, I was feeling a shortness of breath the gosh darn aspirator wouldn't touch because that shortness of breath wasn't in my throat or in my lungs. It was around my heart. This was the feeling of anxiety kicking in and it did not feel good. While it is well understood that individuals with von Willebrand disease will experience a variety of bleeding episodes throughout their lifetime, the psychological impact of these symptoms has received relatively little inquiry. Greater knowledge of these impacts could help inform and support potential mental health screening efforts for VWD patients at U.S. hemophilia treatment centers. This is the voice of Kay, my co-host on the upcoming Bloodstream Media podcast, The PV Pod, Stories from the Marrow. Say hi, Kay. Hey. (laughs) Kay is reading from an article published by the National Hemophilia Foundation on February 8th about the rates of depression and anxiety experienced by people living with von Willebrand disease. The results, which were published in the Journal of Hemophilia, showed that a relatively high proportion of the participants met the criteria for both depression and anxiety, with rates at 63.6% and 58.3%, respectively. Several variables were strongly associated with depression in adults, including most prominently joint problems. Being single, divorced, widowed, or separated were also linked to depression in adult participants, promoting the authors to emphasize the value of a strong support network for individuals with VWD. In addition, participants aged 12 to 17 were more likely to have anxiety. The authors described this as a time when adolescents with VWD begin a slow transition to adulthood, wherein they gradually take greater ownership of their own care. This is a process that will naturally prompt some stressful situations, even under the best of circumstances. The authors posit that findings such as these should be impetus for enhanced mental health screenings with VWD patients at HTCs. 
Did you know that the impetus for starting the Let's Talk project, first as a documentary and then continuing as this podcast segment, was a notable lack of communication and awareness around mental health issues amongst those living with bleeding disorders? Mental health in general is something that previous generations were taught to ignore. People going through mental struggles were thought to be crazy, hysterical, weak, but we know better now. Talking is a catalyst for healing. So what did I do when I found out that my blood pressure was extremely high? Well, I immediately messaged my wife. And though I had several more meetings that day, I took a little bit of time to take a walk, to call back the doctor, ask a few more questions, like, what is the medication? I spoke to my wife and let her know exactly how it was feeling and everything the doctor said, that I was scared, that I was embarrassed, that I was feeling guilty because I knew for the past two years I'd been overeating and overdrinking and I wanted to stop, but I just didn't. Courtney reminded me that life has its ups and downs, good times and hard times, and that I had already begun to make changes. I joined the YMCA in January. I also gave up drinking alcohol over 80 days ago now, and I've been eating healthier. And most of all, she reminded me that I can handle this, that we can handle this together. So now I'm on my medication, I'm on my path to physical wellness, and while this one conversation didn't solve my problems, it created a safe space to bring up how I'm feeling on both my good days and my bad. I've also noticed since drastically changing my eating habits and exercise routine that I'm more routinely happy overall. So many of our mental and physical challenges are linked in the most unexpected ways. It's like my contractor who fixed the leak in our kitchen says, leaks are weird. The water may be coming out under the windows, but the source could be just about anywhere. Thank you to Michelle and the production teams over at Flow and the PV Pod Stories from the Marrow for contributing to this segment. And to Amy and Patrick for giving me a space to talk about these things. Talking can be so healing. If you're on your own mental health journey and you don't know where to begin, check out letstalkmh.com and click resources. For the foreseeable future, I'll be watching my cholesterol and exercising and taking my medication and focusing on positive thoughts and sharing, lots of sharing, including with you. So let's talk next month and I'll let you know where I'm at. And before we go back to Patrick and Amy, I'll leave you today with one last snippet from Michelle on that same episode of Flow that I played earlier. You typically have to really advocate for yourselves especially as a woman, because a lot of doctors are taught that only men can have bleeding disorders like hemophilia. And then also within families, women often say, oh, women in our family bleed heavy. We are just heavy bleeders. No, 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 no. Don't listen to your mom. Don't listen to your grandma. Don't listen to your aunt. If your body and your heart and your mind is saying this doesn't seem right, this doesn't feel right, just go seek multiple opinions. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> we're clapping. We're sending you hugs. <laughs> we're, yes. <laughs> that is the message every woman needs to hear about a, periods or anything related to your bodies. Let's talk with Joshua Sterling Bragg once again. Thank you, Josh. And thank you, Santa Fe. And, you know, Amy didn't mention it earlier, I don't think anyway, but the Elite Athletes documentary we were talking about also made possible by Sanofi. So big shout out to Sanofi for the vision and support uh, of that project. And uh, with that aiming board, I have one question remaining before we wrap today's episode. Yeah. We are back April 14th, and I got to know, the people got to know, 
What can we expect on Bloodstream April 14th? Again, it's stacked. It's ridiculous. It's legitimately stacked. <laughs> it is. We have another segment from Maya Bloomberg, which is going to be fantastic. Um, Dr. Mike is joining us, who is a PT. Always love Dr. Mike. He's going to join us. And Rich Gorman is back to talk about the ethics of gene therapy now that we have a legitimate gene therapy that has been approved here in full-blown America. So we have Rich Gorman back. So again, stacked, y'all. Stacked. And remember, if you have anyone in your life with a story about athletics, we want to hear about that. We're, we're also still collecting some stories for that music segment we've been talking about. Mm. So we're kind of coming to the end of that. But if you're interested, let us know. Mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. And with that, mm, that is all for this episode. <laughs> As always, reminder to subscribe, listen to, share episodes of the Bloodstream Podcast with friends, family, colleagues, coworkers, classmates, anybody you want. And again, if you or a loved one would like to reach out, we're always here. Mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. And we mentioned it, but we have lots of casting opportunities for our podcast and our films. So again, just reach out to us on social media. Patrick James Lynch, Amy Board, that is me. We're all on the socials. Mailbag at Bloodstream Media. We're we're accessible. Yeah, I'm the other one. I'm your host, Patrick James Lynch. No, no, no. I am your other host, Amy Board. And until next time, listeners, take self-care of yourself. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.